Well, I've done this a couple times before, so if it's, if it's new to you, relax and ask somebody else if it was weird. We're looking at Luke chapter 10, but before we get up to Luke chapter 10, we're going to weave through some stories in Luke, and I'm going to do that through a first-person narrative. And so, uh, so we'll go through. See, look at all these people are leaving because they're like, whoa, those first-person narratives, those are scary. It's not about me. Well, first of all, I'm surprised that I would get picked to travel through time to be with you today because uh, I didn't. I don't really matter. I mean, I'm. I wasn't one of the three, or Peter, James, and John. I wasn't one of the twelve official disciples. I wasn't one of the prominent women. Hopefully, you know that's obvious right now, but. Um, but I wasn't in a special group, and so I didn't know if I, if I mattered. I didn't know if God would use me. I, I haven't been healed in a miraculous way, so I'm not going to tell you one of those stories. And, and really, I don't even think I have that great of a faith story. So I just really, truly wondered if I mattered in the universe. However, after I tell you my story, I hope that you'll see that, um, that my thinking was pretty wrong and that my question of if I mattered was wrong and just how much healing I needed. See, I was a Jew living around Galilee, which was a city in, in the area of Judah and Jerusalem up on the northern territory. And I was just a Jew living in Galilee around the time of Jesus. And, and now, I, you might hear Jesus and think very powerful name, but for us, Jesus was the same as Joshua. We said Yeshua because we were Jews. It was like every third male was named Joshua or Jesus, so it was not a big deal. I didn't recognize Jesus by his name. Um, but there were these rumors of this prophet, and for us, for the Jews, we hadn't, like God hadn't spoken through a prophet in four hundred years. So the fact that a prophet would come and speak on behalf of God, was kind of a big deal. And his name was John, and he was coming in the power of Elijah, and Elijah was one of our greatest prophets. And he would quote um, another one of our great prophets, prophet Isaiah, and he would say, Behold, I am coming, I'm preparing the way for the Lord. I'm making straight paths for the Messiah. So we stood up and we watched. Now, I didn't actually get to meet this John prophet, I didn't meet Jesus at this time, but I did hear that Jesus wasn't just any Jewish teacher. He wasn't just any rabbi. This Jewish teacher, Jesus, he would actually heal the sick while he was teaching. He would actually touch people that had leprosy. And, and if you are a Jew, you don't touch people with leprosy. They're unclean, you're called defiled, it's bad news. And he would touch them and he would be fine. He would bring them back into the community, and people stood up. There was one point, speaking of standing up, that there was a paralytic. He hadn't walked in his whole life, and Jesus healed this person, and he walked. So as soon as I started hearing these stories, I was not only intrigued, but I was even more interested in meeting him. Probably the thing that that blew me away the most, as much as those healings were amazing, was the type of people that he called to follow him. His disciples, which most rabbis, most of these Jewish teachers had disciples, but he would choose odd ducks, we'll just say that. I mean, first of all, his first four people that he asked to follow him were fishermen. 
And so um, fishermen are okay. I mean, they can still practice and go to the synagogue, but, but they're not the greatest, cleanest, wonderful people in the world. Um, you, you've heard the phrase, swear like a sailor? Yeah, they were fishermen. And so not only were they fishermen, but then he chose a tax collector. And to choose a tax collector for a Jew, it's kind of like you people choosing a drug dealer to be one of your followers, or a child molester to be one of your followers, or a human trafficker to be one of your followers. You just didn't do that. And so when Jesus told this tax collector to come and follow, that's when I knew I had a shot. That's when I knew that maybe, maybe Jesus would choose me. And so I went to synagogue one Sabbath, and in the synagogue that day, there was this man with this deformed hand. And you couldn't do any work on the Sabbath, and so we were sitting there in synagogue, kind of like we are here. And Jesus stood up, and he had the man with the deformed hand stand up, and he looked at the religious leaders, and he said, Now, now what should we do on the Sabbath? Should we do good, or should we do evil? And the shriveled man had kind of his head, or the man with the deformed hand had his head kind of down, and the Jewish leaders had their heads down, because I'd overheard them talking about doing evil things to Jesus, like killing him and taking him out. So they were kind of silent. And Jesus looked at them intently, and then looked at the crowd, and he said, is it not to do good? And he looked at the man, and he said, stretch out your hand. And, and the man took his hand out and stretched it out, and the people started praising God. It was, it was amazing. And, and that's when I followed him. I was just one man in the crowd of people that were going along with Jesus. And we would go along, and I'm, I'm so glad I did because he went up on this mountain to pray one time, and he prayed all night, and the crowd just kind of camped out at the bottom of the mountain to wait for him to come back down. It kind of reminded us when Moses was taken up on the mountain to pray, because that's kind of a big deal. That's near and dear to our hearts as Jews, as Moses went up on the mountain to spend 40 days with God. And Jesus spent the whole night praying with God. And when he came down, he chose 12 people from that crowd to be his official disciples. And I was kind of hoping to get picked, I'll just be honest. I mean, the first ones he chose, Peter and Andrew and James and John, were like, yeah, yeah, because you've been following him them the whole time. I know, those fishermen. And then, of course, Levi or Matthew, that tax collector. And Okay, he's been around for a while. But then, like, James, son of Alphaeus, and, and Thaddeus, and, and Bartholomew, and Thomas, and I'm like, well, those guys don't seem special. They don't seem like they're anything bigger deal than I am. God... Like, if you're God, Jesus, pick me. Like, I want to matter. Why won't you? What, what, what have I done wrong? And he didn't, he didn't pick me. He did give this really amazing teaching afterwards. He talked about being poor in spirit, but yet having um, the chance to see God. He talked about being, being hungry and yet being satisfied. He talked about being sick and, and miserable and yet having comfort and joy. He talked about being persecuted and yet being okay with that. And, and I probably would have heard more of his amazing teaching had I not been so self-focused on wanting to get picked. But, but I almost gave up following Jesus that day. Uh, I think because I just really, really, really wanted to matter. 
Now, I'm glad I didn't, because the crowd went with him, and I decided to keep going with the crowd, but I'll be honest, it was kind of just a crowd thing. Since everyone else was doing it, I thought I would do it too. But I'm so glad I did, because as we went along, he stopped and he saw this Roman officer, and we hate Rome, by the way. We hate their officers. And this Roman officer came up and he said, Jesus, you can, you can heal my servant. You don't even have to see him. I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. And he goes on and on and on. And Jesus says, no, like I haven't seen a greater faith in all of Israel than this guy. And the crowd is flabbergasted. The crowd is shocked. There's booing. There's hissing. They're like, we hate Rome. Why would you heal him? And he did. And then we walked along further. We came to this village called Nain. In, in this village, there was a widow who was walking out. I'm assuming she was a widow because she was kind of all alone. And she didn't have any other family around her. And this was a funeral procession. There was a body that was lifted up and being carried through, and it was her only son we heard through the crowd. And so she was utterly alone. There would be no one else to help her, to to be resourceful for her as a widow. She really couldn't take a job, couldn't make any money, so she was truly out on her own. And Jesus walked up, and he told the crowd to stop, and he touched this wrapped, dead body, which is kind of like touching someone with leprosy. You just don't touch dead bodies. And Jesus touched him. And he said, get up. And this body wrapped, sat up. And the crowd just cheered. I mean, it was, again, this unbelievable thing. After this, we watched Jesus travel from towns and villages, and he was What he called it was declaring and demonstrating the kingdom of God. He said that the kingdom was here. And he took the 12 and he expanded the circle beyond those official 12. He found very resourceful women, which again didn't include me, but did include this woman named Mary. She was also called Magdalene and she was kind of famous because she had seven demons cast out of her. Then there was Joanna and Joanna was kind of famous because her husband literally took care of King Herod, which we also hate King Herod. We do a lot of hating as Jewish men, I just realized. Um, But King Herod, his entire estate, his household, his family, his finances, Joanna's husband managed all that. And so she was pretty well known. And Susanna and these other women who funded literally Jesus' ministry as we went with him. And so he, again, expanded the circle. And we saw him kind of periodically throughout this time. He would, he would go away with his official 12 disciples and, and teach them. And, and honestly, I was becoming more okay with this because I was realizing that me not being a part of the 12 was very self-focused. And, uh, and what I was learning about this kingdom of God, this way of Jesus, was that it was very God-focused. And it was very others-focused. And so I was, I was pretty in the wrong. And we finally caught up as the crowd with Jesus in this town called Bethsaida. He had sent out the twelve on a mission trip. And he had given them the power to declare and demonstrate this kingdom of God, that it was here. And he gave them the power to heal the sick. And he gave them the power to cast out demons. And then um, he tried to get away with them after they came back from their little mission trip and go in private, but we caught up with him. The crowd came, and when we got there, the disciples were visibly annoyed, but Jesus wasn't. Jesus welcomed us, and he started teaching to this crowd of 
like 5,000 men and, and their families like, like we were in the 12. And, and he told us about, about what was going to happen. He told us that he was going to have to suffer for, for, what, um, for what he was going to have to do. And then, and then we didn't have any food and he miraculously fed us. I mean, just, just like one boy's lunch turned into enough food for all of us. I'm not even quite now sure how he did it. But then he said something that struck me. When the disciples started to get agitated with us, and some of, the, some of these people in the crowd were actually um, doing good things, they were declaring and demonstrating the kingdom of God, and the disciples got angry about that. And Jesus said something that I'll, I'll never forget. He said, whoever is not against you, and he kind of looked out at the crowd. He said, it's for you. Kind of like saying to the disciples, get over it. And so, again, we started going. We started journeying with Jesus, the 12 disciples, and this crowd following. And one of my friends in the crowd, he was, he was saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus walked up to him and said, do you realize where I'm going to go? Like, foxes have holes and, and something about other animals. And he said, but but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. I'm homeless. Do you want to be homeless? My friend didn't really say anything. Somebody else said something, and then one of my other friends in the crowd, he walked up and he said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go, but can I just go say goodbye to my family? And then Jesus looked at him, and it might not make a lot of sense to you if you're not from a farming community, but Jesus said, whoever puts their hand on the plow and then looks back isn't fit for the kingdom. Like, my work is about moving forward and being careful about where you go. And if you look back, you're going to miss something. And it was tough. And I wondered if, if I could really, even in the crowd, I wondered if I could, could do this. And then it happened. Finally, I got my shot. I got my chance. He kind of turned to the whole crowd of us. The 12 were there and he said, people are ready to jump into the kingdom of God. They are waiting for someone to talk to them. We need more kingdom workers that will go out into this harvest of people who want to understand the way of Jesus, people who want to experience this kingdom of God. So pray for more kingdom workers. And then he went, and you, and you, and you, and you. And he just went throughout the crowd, and you, and you, two by two. And I was just watching, not really sure what he was doing. Like, was he creating another 12? Because 12 is kind of important to us. You know, Jesus um, picked 12 because, because, again, he was trying to be a little bit like Moses. And, uh, and when God, our, our God called Abraham, who's kind of the father of our nation, Abraham had a generation called Israel, and Israel had 12 sons. That was Jacob, but he became Israel, and he had 12 sons, and so they, those became the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and God really wanted Israel to be the pipeline of blessing for the rest of the world. He wanted Israel as a nation to show the world what it meant to be in relationship with God. And Israel utterly, like we just did, I'll be honest, we utterly failed. We couldn't do it. We would, we would keep and hoard the blessing for ourselves. Um, when we went into the wilderness, when our, when our nations, when our forefathers went into the wilderness with, with Moses, we utterly failed in the wilderness. And so Jesus was doing something. I think he was doing something when he went into the wilderness for 40 days. 
and he was tempted by Satan. And he came out of the wilderness alive and well and conquered that temptation. And now I thought, well, maybe he's creating another 12, but he goes way past 12 and you and you and you and you. And he was picking ordinary people. He was picking people like from different cities and from different classes of people and all kinds of different people, ordinary people, unprofessional people, people not so different than me. And at one point he said, you and you. And he pointed right to me. And I don't remember exactly what number I was. I just remember as he was getting up there with you and you and you and you, he got up to about 70 or 72 and I remembered that, that in the wilderness, when the people were restless, we'll just say, when they were in this place where it was going bad and Moses was feeling utterly alone, God said, appoint 70 elders. And he took these 70 and he gave them the Holy Spirit. There's not many times that the Holy Spirit came in the Old Testament in our, well, what you call the Old Testament, what our, we call our Torah, but, but there wasn't many times that that the Holy Spirit came onto people. But at that point, it was a big deal. We celebrated it in our, in our heritage. And, and Moses picked these 70 and they got the Spirit. And they were prophesying. And people were confused by this. They were upset. And Moses said at one point, I wish everyone had my Spirit. And I think that this, this 70 thing, I think it had something to do with that. Again, this idea of Jesus being being like Moses. And then, and then he said, again, pray for more workers. Pray for these kingdom workers. And after he started picking, he said kind of the same instructions that he said to the 12. He said, declare and demonstrate the kingdom of God and pray for more workers. And I don't want you to go out on this military operation. I don't want you to go out on a mission to make me king. I want you to go and just restore peace with God. That's what I've come to do. I've come to bring peace. I've come to create an understanding, like tell people that this kingdom of God is a way of peace. This kingdom of God is about, about people and God coming back into relationship because it's been very messed up for a very long time. And so you're supposed to go into a village and you're supposed to find a person of peace. You're not supposed to bring anything. Don't bring a sword or a purse or an extra clothes or extra shoes. Just trust me, he said. Trust that I'm going to be enough. That as you depend on me, that, that I will work. As you find someone that is a person of peace, bring the message of peace. And spread that message of peace that God is reconciling, that he's bringing people back to himself, that... that that he is giving them a chance to come into relationship with me. And if they have peace, then stay. If they don't, if they reject that peace, then, then kick the dust off your shoes, which is a very Jewish way of saying God's judgment to fall on you, if they don't. But don't, don't try and take up a vendetta against them. Just Peace, and if they reject that peace, then walk away. 
And if you're worried about being rejected as you declare and demonstrate or fall off the platform, if you declare and demonstrate this kingdom and you're worried about being rejected, said, remember, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting your message. And your message is about me. And they're not rejecting me, but they're rejecting the one who sent me. So don't be afraid. Don't feel like you're going to be rejected because it's God who's being rejected. Get over yourself is kind of what I interpreted. Like I was a little bit self-righteous and, and focused, and so we went. And it was an amazing time. In fact, when we came back, I said, Lord, even, even the demonic forces that make people suffer, they submitted. They like just cowered at your name. It was awesome. And then Jesus said something pretty strange and amazing. He said, look, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Didn't really quite understand what he meant, but what he was saying was that in this spiritual realm where people um, make choices in, in the world, that, and then when they make a bad choice and and become confused, or become conflicted, or become oppressed, or, or just become depressed. He said, Satan loves to attack that thing. And he loves to accuse those. But sometimes, the righteous, there's nothing that they have to get accused of. And when Satan fell from heaven, he lost the ability to accuse those righteous. He doesn't have, like we have this story um, in, the, in the teachings that in, in the Jewish teachings, um, called Job. I think it's in your Old Testament. And in, in the book of Job, Satan, the Satan, the accuser, goes up in the gates of heaven, however that looks, and he approaches God and has to have permission to approach God and then has to have permission to accuse Job. Well, when Satan falls from heaven, Jesus was saying he lost the, the throne room. He lost the courtroom, the heavenly courtroom, to accuse those of sin. And it reminded me of when, when I heard that Jesus went into the 40 days in the wilderness and did battle with Satan. He had started something and won. And then in this moment, he was saying that Satan fell from heaven again, losing the ability to accuse. And then what would be completed on the cross that you celebrate at Good Friday and Easter that that would be the final victory for Jesus. That even though you're in this battle still, that the final victory has been won. And that was just amazing that he would talk about this. And it was even more amazing that, that God being at work would choose ordinary, unprofessional, self-focused, probably self-righteous sinners to be a part of his mission. And for the first time, even though I got chosen, it didn't matter if I mattered. And as I was standing there with the crowd of people that had come back, Jesus prayed and he said, Oh, Father, I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and clever and you've given them to those that are childlike. Which I'm pretty sure was a diss on, on me. But, but I realized, after I got over myself again, I realized that, 
that those who are wise and clever, they trust in themselves. They trust in their own righteousness. They trust in their own ability to like earn something or matter towards God. And those that are childlike simply trust. They simply believe that those who say they love them have their best interest in mind. That those, when they say that, when, when Jesus said, just go and your faith will be enough, just go and trust, these people said, okay. And that's what Jesus was calling me, childlike. And all of a sudden I realized something that I thought at the moment was a diss was really truly a compliment. So I will gladly count myself as one of the unprofessional people. I will gladly count myself as one of the uneducated. I will gladly count myself as one of the ordinary. I'll count myself as one of the 72. And I did need to be healed. I needed to be healed of my self-focus, my self-righteousness, my constant wondering of if I mattered. And I discovered a whole new understanding of Jesus. And maybe you're in a place where you need a whole new understanding of Jesus. Maybe Jesus has never been what you thought he was until my story. And so if you are wondering if it's worth following him or trusting him, let me just say it is. But you'll come to the end of yourself in the process. And it is a beautiful mess when you do. And if you do trust Jesus, if you do follow Jesus, then maybe I would encourage you to stop asking if you matter and just simply be one of the kingdom workers. Good morning, everyone. My name is Lucas Nelson, in case we haven't met yet. And I'm actually the intern here at Restoration, which I'll be honest, I'm having a ton of fun with. Um, It's a really neat experience for me to kind of see how full-time ministry works. I go to North Central University, um, and God's kind of put this this calling in my heart to to get into ministry when I graduate. So it's been just a great experience to really kind of get a grasp on what that's going to look like for me when I graduate and um, how how much work goes into that. Now, what I like to call it is I'm in training to be in ministry, and when I look at this story today, and I think about that, the idea about being in training to be in ministry, and I look at these 72 people that Jesus called on this day, I start to think that I'm a lot like them. You know, yes, I'm, in, I'm kind of training to become this minister, but I'm, I'm not professional. I won't be for a while. I'm, if I ever become professional, I don't feel qualified to share the kingdom of God all the time. I get nervous when that kind of opportunity comes at my door. But, and, and Rob kind of demonstrated that today. He, this, this guy who, who didn't feel qualified, who didn't feel maybe worthy to be part of this mission that Jesus placed on his heart. Um, but Jesus chose him anyways, and I, I really want that to ring through with us today. You know, you don't have to be you don't have to be in school to, be, to become a minister. You don't have to know everything about the Bible. Or you don't have to be the most knowledgeable about it. But God still wants to use you. And God still wants us to reach out to people and still fulfill this, this mission that he gives to these people. We still need to be reaching out to people. 
and really be looking for these people in our lives. And one of the ways we can do this, and one of the best ways to do this actually, is just through prayer. I know it's simple, and I know we hear this all the time, that we need to be praying and we need to be doing that in our devotions every day. But I think this is one of the more important things for us. In recent weeks, we've talked about this idea of um, being one with the Spirit, being one with God, and really being in tune there. And I think one of the ways we can do that is through prayer. Um, when we pray for, for people that we know who maybe don't know God yet, or, and just especially when we're praying, we keep that relationship healthy. We keep, that, we keep ourselves in tune with God. And the second thing we're doing when we pray for these people who we know that don't, that don't know God or maybe don't have that personal relationship with God yet is we're allowing God to start breaking down those walls that they have. Now, we all have these kind of walls built up. And when we pray for these people, God's able to start breaking those down. So when, we, when someone else gets to them or when we get to them to tell them about the kingdom of God, they're one step closer to being ready to hear about that and to really accept the good news of God. So um, hopefully you got one of these today in your uh, bulletin. It's these 72 flyers or handouts. Maybe they're not flyers. But if you want to pull those out, I just want to walk us through those really quick. Um, so the first... And sorry, I'm an intern still, so like I don't get the cool mic, I, so bear with me as I try to struggle through this. Um, but if you would just look at this, this marbly like, half sheet on the right-hand side, I want us to start there. And if you can think of anyone right now who doesn't know God, who doesn't have that personal relationship with God, I want you to write them down in this little column here, my prayer list, where it says that. If you just want to write them down in that list. Now, if you're like me, and you know you have to process things a little bit more, you have to kind of get the juices flowing before you can just start writing out names, um, we're going to go ahead and we'll walk through this other section, this prayer quadrant over here. And if you don't, if you don't have one of these, I encourage you to write it on the back of your uh, bulletin you got today. And if you don't have a pen, just think about this, brainstorm this with me anyways, so that when you go home, you have these people fresh in your mind. Okay, so our first little quadrant here is family. Now, we're all very familiar with family, but I want us to really get broad with this. I, I mean, go beyond parents and nephews and nieces. I want us to go to uncles and aunts and cousins. And, like, I have a family of, like, immediate family of seven so I have to go further than that. I have to go to extended family. I have, like, first removed, like, uncle or something. I'm not sure how it works, but we're related. Um, so, like, I think of those people, and I think, well, who in, who in that realm still needs to know God? And if you're married or you have a significant other, I want you to think about their family, too, and maybe you can work through this together as you know, after the service or something, you can work through this with them and go through that process of their uncles, their aunts, their once removed something or others, and their cousins. And this would be the place to write that down. If you, if you can think of them now, go ahead and write those down. We're going to keep moving, keep working through this, but please just feel free to be writing as we go through. Now we're going to move over to the right one with work associates. So who, who in your place of work doesn't know God? Is it a peer? Is it a boss, maybe? I know I, know I think of a boss, and I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I want to even go there. You're, you're kind of above me, and I don't, it's a little bit scary. But 
I still want us to consider them. Because when we pray for them, we're just breaking those walls down for either us to communicate the kingdom or so that someone else can do that. So think of those people. Even let's make this bigger. Let's make this category bigger. Um, The grocery store you go to or the, the coffee or place or the restaurant that you go to and you notice people over and over again and you see these same people, if you know that they don't have that relationship with God, this is that box for them. Go ahead and you can write their names in here if you can think of anyone. And then we'll move over to friends. I think we're all pretty familiar with this idea of friends, but again, I want to expand this. I want to expand the thought of friends. Maybe you play a sport, or maybe you're in some kind of league or like a book club or something around that effect. And you have what I would call acquaintances. You have someone that you talk to at these clubs or these events, but you don't really know them that well. Think of those people in your life. And if they don't know Christ, just please write them down on this, on this box. And then finally, neighbors. Now, when I hear neighbors, I think my next-door neighbors and those people across the street from me. And that's like my neighbors, that's it. Um, but again, let's, let's really get broad with this. Let's, uh, you know, around the block. Who do you see that needs Christ that's around your block? Who within like a five-mile radius of your home still needs to hear about the good news, the kingdom of God? Or maybe, maybe you go to a different city. Maybe you're like me, you live in Minneapolis, and you come down to Apple Valley all the time. Who do you know in that other city that you visit all the time that still doesn't know Christ but you visit there enough that you can, you can start sharing with them. Think of those people when you think of the neighbors section. And I'm just going to give you about like 30 seconds to brainstorm and kind of write those down, and then we'll move on. Okay, so I encourage you to keep writing, if you can still think of names, keep writing as I talk. But I want to share with you um, a story that I just recently had, um, and hopefully you find this encouraging when you think about these people that you're praying for and these people on your list that you just wrote down, or maybe that you're going to write down. Last Sunday, I'm on my way to church, and I'm running a few minutes early, which is you know, pretty good for me. I'm pretty excited about it. So I stopped at a gas station, and I just wanted to pick up a few things. I was super thirsty, so I was just, I went inside to get a drink and some other things, and I get there, and the lady rings me up, and she looks at me, and like, just waiting for me to pay, and I'm like, oh, yeah, right. So I reach for my wallet, and I don't have it with me. So she starts asking me all these questions. Well, can you go home and get it and come back and then pay for everything? Can you, can you leave something with us so that I know you'll be back to pay? And I'm like, uh, I, you know, I live in Minneapolis, which, if you don't know, it's about a 20-minute drive. And so I, I live in Minneapolis. I'm on my way to church, and I really need to set up. I'm, I'm helping out with kids' ministry today. And we both kind of stand there in just this silence. And then finally, after maybe a minute or two pass, she, she looks at me and says, well, you know, my mom used to go to church every Sunday. 
And I don't know why I'm going to do this for you right now. I don't have any idea why. But I'm going to trust you to come back and pay me back for these items. So she covered me that morning. She, she paid for what I had. So I left. I get to church. And uh, when everything's said and done, I zip home. And I zip back with my wallet. And I, I get into this gas station. And I've got the money in hand. And I walk up to her. And the, this morning, it was kind of like I had that like awe on my face. And I was just like, oh, thank you so much. And I get in. And that, that kind of reverses. Now she's the one with that kind of look of awe on her face. So I walk up to her, I give her the money, and she says thanks, and I think at this point she's just kind of being polite, and she asks how church went. Now, usually, usually I would have just said, good, mission accomplished, and left. That would have been what I would usually do. However, God had something way bigger than that planned for us. God had so much more planned for us. Uh, So I say, you know, it went really well. I, I'm blessed to work with this, these group of fourth and fifth graders every other Sunday, and I get to help set up with that, and it went really well. And I noticed you, you kind of ask a lot about church, and you, your mom went to church. Do you, are you connected at all still? Do you go to church? Do you have Sundays off sometimes that you can go to church? And she, she pauses and says, well, you know, I've I've kind of been looking, but I haven't really been trying to find a church. So we talk about that for a few more minutes, and she's working, so I don't want to take up all her time, but um, I give her the list of a few churches with uh, Sunday night groups and uh, even Saturday night services that she can reach out to and go and be part of that. So I leave, and... This morning, I actually went back to visit her. I know she works Sunday mornings. They told me that. So I, <laughs> I know. that I'm that guy now. I'm the, <laughs> so I go back this morning, and I see her, and she's like, you know, you just, what you did for me was just so much more than I would have expected. That was just one more step that most people wouldn't take. And she told me that she's now involved with a group where she gets to kind of explore like who God is and what God really means in her life. Now, I don't know this for sure, but you know, I'm pretty confident that someone was praying for her before I got there. I'm pretty sure that God was working in her. In fact, I know that God was working in her before I got there. God probably had that planned out way before I even thought about it. And that kind of gives me the shivers. But I want us to really just kind of think about that. And I hope that's encouraging when you pray for these people on your list. I hope that that is encouraging to you. So I'm going to actually invite the worship band up. And as as we start our first song, we've got this whiteboard set up over here. And if you want, if you feel led during this first song, if you want to write the name or the the initials, rather, of someone on that list, or if you want to write just a quick prayer for that person on this board, that would be a great opportunity for you to just kind of express that and for us to pray for them with you. Oh God, we lift up every name that is on this board, um, and we acknowledge that they are precious people to you, that you love them way more than, than we 
could and probably will, but God, we pray that that we would be kingdom workers. God, that we would accept ourselves as ordinary, that we'd have a proper perspective of ourself, and yet know that with your spirit and with your power that anything is possible and that you want to use your people to see more come to know you because it, it is the, the true life, it is the way to live, it is the hope of glory. And so, um, God, be at work in these, in these people. Cause others to come around them. We do pray for more kingdom workers, that, that we're not the only person in someone's story, God, and we're not arrogantly thinking that. But we ask, God, that you would use us, that we realize that we matter because we matter to you and that we would open our eyes and our ears to what you're doing, that we would have stories next week like like Lucas had this week where uh, a worker took a risk and paid for his gas and drink and, and he got to share, declare and demonstrate your kingdom. We We want that, God, not for our glory but for yours. So we pray out of your goodness and your glory that we would walk out of here as kingdom workers today, empowered and equipped in your Holy Spirit to to be your good news. In Jesus' name, amen.